Okay, everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Bull Flag Group's interview series. So today I have a great guest here from Casper Labs. Her name is Neve O'Connell, and she's going to be explaining some of the differences between Casper Labs, Casper Network, going over some of the basics of the blockchain and answering some of our questions that we got from the community. Neve, I'll let you do a quick introduction on yourself, and I want to hear about what brought you to Casper Labs in the first place. Perfect. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. In terms of my background, so from an education standpoint, I completed my undergraduate degree at Trinity College, where I studied business and economics in Ireland. And I also completed my master's in Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. And ultimately, I kind of dipped my toes into the blockchain space around 2015. So at the time, I was working at Deloitte and Touche in Ireland, and I was part of their consulting division. And at the time, they were basically looking to sponsor Europe's largest hackathon. And I wanted to get more involved in the disruptive tech. So alongside working on a client engagement, I decided to help project manage um, that sponsorship from Deloitte's perspective. And so I attended the hackathon. At the time, obviously, had barely a clue about the technology. You can imagine back in like 2015, there was barely any information out there. And so really, when I was kind of talking to the different teams and understanding the, the different ideas that were being pitched, I started to get a grasp. And really, that's the moment I suppose I got hooked. And so at that time, I was talking to my colleagues at Deloitte about putting Deloitte's program, their loyalty program, which is for internal purposes on the blockchain. And so we started doing that internally. And then in 2016, Deloitte Ardent basically were selected to set up the blockchain center of excellence for Europe, Middle East and South Africa. And so I was asked to join that and be part of the founding member team there and help set it up. And so that's where it really all started for me. And so my role really then at that time was very much focused on the product side, on the project management side. So I worked on the first ever prototypes within financial services and supply chain. And then in 2018, I joined Consensus Ireland and I joined their blockchain and supply chain spoke team, which was previously known as Viant, which is now called Trium. And that was recently acquired by Consensus. And so my role there evolved then to more managing the end-to-end production engagements for Fortune 500 companies, looking at basically how to scale our SaaS offering and then grow our portfolio. So a lot more on the strategy and business development side of things. And so then I joined Casper Labs in June of last year. And so at Casper Labs, I'm very much part of their business development team. And I help effectively run and look how to scale our enterprise and our partnerships. So that's everything again from, you know, strategy, go to market to looking how to scale our processes so they're more effective. And then obviously, you know, acquiring enterprise customers and looking at how to expand that value for them. Awesome. So you come from traditional world, merging into blockchain and now full blockchain. So that's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I moved over from Ireland to the States early 2020 then for the job opportunity as well. So very much stateside now. Got it. That's awesome. So let's dive in a little bit. Explanation of Casper Labs, right? So there's mm-hmm. a lot of different terminology. There's Casper Network, there's Casper Labs. What is the relationship? Who does what? Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. Great question. So Casper Labs, we're effectively an enterprise software company. 
And we're the builders behind the Casper Network, which launched in March of last year. And so the Casper Network, it's the first live implementation of the Casper CBC protocol. And it has its own native currency called CSPR. But as soon as basically the network launched, we seized control of that network and we transitioned more to providing services for enterprises that are looking to build on top of the network. So we have, you know, an engineering arm, a professional services arm, and then obviously the business development arm, which I had mentioned. And so when the network launched, this was very much governed and the token sale by the Casper Association. And they are not-for-profit, basically, that are really focused on three things, you know, really promoting decentralization of the network. Two is around promoting organic growth and community. And then three is really ensuring that the right infrastructure rails from a DeFi and an NFT marketplace perspective are in place so developers can build apps themselves. And so, you know, thinking about the Casper blockchain, what it is, is a third generation blockchain. And our founders, Meta Parlakar, she's our CTO and co-founder, and Murnal Manahar, who's our CEO and co-founder, what they wanted to do was really create the first live implementation of the CBC protocol, because they believed that that essentially had the security and the scalability that was needed to really help drive enterprise adoption. And so what they looked really and sought out to do was really solve four problems by building this blockchain from scratch. You know, it has its own virtual machine. And so the first was around really enabling a blockchain that would scale without sacrifice. And what I mean by that is not sacrificing decentralization and scalability. So if you look, you know, at the second generation blockchains like Ethereum, obviously that's well renowned and known for its decentralization and security. But as we all know, it's not scalable. And there's great work being done, obviously, on the layer two scaling solution side of things. And then when you look at other third generation blockchains, which are all proof of stake based, some of them are a bit more slightly centralized or not as decentralized. And so we really don't compromise on any of those three. And so the second point that they really wanted to solve was access and ease of use and onboarding for developers. So again, a lot of these blockchains have proprietary languages and tooling, which really you know, creates a steep learning curve and higher overhead costs for any developers looking to get involved in the space. So what Meta and you know, Moral wanted to do was use traditional programming language that developers are typically used to using. And so what you can use to build the smart contracts on Casper is Rust and AssemblyScript. So, you know, traditional programming languages that developers are used to using, and it fits very neatly within enterprises' technical stack. And so the third thing then from that is what they wanted to solve is the ability to provide more flexibility. And obviously that's so important for enterprises because you know, their processes and business needs change. And so obviously, as a consequence, the technology requirements are going to evolve and change with time. But this didn't exist with other blockchains. And so that's why we built our own virtual machine that would enable us to create upgradable smart contracts and features. And then the fourth and final point is around costs, unstable gas costs, and just generally very unpredictable costs. And, you know, with Casper, they're very low. And at the moment, it could be as little to do a native transfer, let's say, with a minimum of 2.5 CSPR. And 2.5 CSPR today is around like 20 cents. 
So to have that amount in your account to share, to transact, you're talking about 0.1 CSPR. So it's minuscule in comparison. This leads me to one of the questions, and you touched on a number of them, but when comparing to other layer ones, do you think that you'll be able to keep those low rates moving forward as transactions grow on the blockchain? And I think you mentioned a little bit on that, but how is Casper ready to handle that incoming volume? So there are always feature upgrades, you know, focusing on fast synchronization, constantly research being done about how to best scale the network, what scalability solutions make most sense. And these new features are actually released every couple of months. So Casper 2.0 is actually going to be launching later this year and is really focused on that. It will never implement something that is going to compromise security or performance or decentralization. So there's so much research always being done before to test and prove before even bringing something to beta and then obviously bringing it to the network itself. You were saying as well, how does it compare with other layer ones? So I would say it performs generally very well with regards to decentralization and security, which you know I had I had mentioned already. Um, but then it also really differentiates itself, I suppose, on the fact that number one, again, you know, it's very easy for onboarders to use and get onboarded. Two is around the upgradability of the smart contracts. Three, you know, is around the and enhanced features capability of the NFT standard itself. And then obviously we touched on costs. The third generation blockchains, they're all more efficient because they're all proof of stake based. But even from that perspective, Casper has very, very low hardware requirements. So at a minimum, you know, to really spin up a node, all you really need is a PC with four cores and 32 gigabytes of RAM. So it's one of the lowest out there in comparison to, you know, all of the layer ones out there from a hardware perspective. That's interesting. So you mentioned proof of stake. Is there anything unique about Casper's proof of stake and how active is the community in terms of supporting the network right now? How many active stakers are there? What does that node system look like? What's the overall health of, of the blockchain? So the consensus protocol that we've implemented is called the Highway Protocol. And it was really the solution that was fine really to implement a working consensus protocol based off the CBC Casper protocol specs that I had mentioned. And what that really is, is it really focuses on providing mathematical proofs around liveness and safety. And it got the name because basically what you have are these different lanes for messages that have different speeds. And so if a node, let's say, detects that there is an issue and something bad is happening, it'll slow down until it is able to basically correctly get back to normal operation and resolve the issue and then speed up again. And so from that, you know, you effectively have fast and slower nodes and then hence the name highway. From um, a stake and a validator perspective, so, you know, just taking a step back, you can go and also just view this in real time on the block explorers that have been built. So communities have actually built CSPure.live and CasperStats.io. They're two great resources to see. And on those, what you can see is everything from, you know, token supply. You can also see the validators, their performance in real time, how much is staked, etc. So right now there are a hundred validators. And basically, in order to participate in this, 
what you need to do is you need to be able to determine if you can participate. So what I mean by that is you have to participate in an auction and basically place a bid. And so we have this mechanism called ERAs, which are basically two-hour windows. So if you want to participate, you have to basically bid two ERAs from now, so four, four hours' time. And what you would do is you would bid based on your stake and then any delegator that is staked to you. And so if you're successful, you know, then you're going to be scheduled, basically, to produce a block in ERA 3. And so what happens there is you basically propose a block, a list of transactions, and then this is effectively communicated to the network and then consensus is reached. So you need 67% of validators to basically agree. And then at that point, you know, the block is finalized. It's signed by the validator. So it's only once it's finalized does then the block get added. And so What's unique in a sense is the fact that it's execution after consensus, which is unique in comparison to some other third generation blockchains that don't actually have that. And so from a staking perspective, anyone basically can stake. All you need to do is obviously have CSPR. You choose your validator. Again, you can go to CSPR.live, see the performance, select them, and then delegate. And then you'll receive the rewards every era. And when you think about as well the total supply as well and you know i'm actually just going to pull up cspr live right now you know you can see that there's over 3 billion tokens in supply over 8 billion are staked and so that's 75% of total tokens are actually staked in the network that's a really good indicator that you know the community are backing and believing in staking the tokens in the network which is which is a great sign Got it. So just for the community, what is the general tokenomics here? How many are in circulation? What's the max supply? And how does that dictate kind of the health of the blockchain? And can you give any depth into the reasoning behind that max supply, the reasoning behind setting up the tokenomics that way? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, the network launched earlier in 2021. And at the time of launch, there was a total of 10 billion tokens. And, you know, obviously, since it's proof of stake, the more tokens that are going to be staked and absorbed by rewards, there's obviously going to need to be an increase. So with that, you know, supply increases at a fixed rate. So, you know, again, if we're, if we're just pulling up, for example, CSPR.live, you know, I'd mentioned obviously 3 billion in circulation, 8 billion are staked, you know, that's over 11 billion. So you can actually see that increase, you know, already since it launched in March of last year. In terms of the, the overall macroeconomic breakdown, so there's around, of the total supply, 30.4%, roughly speaking, were sold during the private validator sales. So there were two rounds pre-mainnet launch. And then at the time of, obviously, the token sale that was led successfully by Casper Association, 17% of tokens were allocated to that public token sale. And then I think there was around 8% of tokens, roughly speaking, that were allocated to the teams that actually built the network. And then around 12-ish percent were allocated to the Casper Association. 
And they've been obviously staking the tokens to earn rewards to then use those to, you know, operate their financials and operations. Then there was 16% of tokens allocated for developer grants. 10%, I think, was around associated with Casper Labs. And then 8% for the advisory board as well. And yeah, I think I've covered it all in terms of the, the token kind of breakdown. So just jumping back, I suppose, to the validator percentage. So that's around 30.4%, as I said, and then 17% from the public token sale. You can kind of think about them, just broadly speaking, the public tokens that were sold as like retail users, and then the 30.4% from you know the private uh, validator sales. Think about that from like an institutional perspective. And I suppose one other thing to mention really is the fact that the tokens that Casper Labs holds, they don't plan to sell them. So those and along with Casper Associations, they're not counted in this total supply, circulating supply. But obviously, you know, the tokens allocated to the teams would be when from the moment, you know, they're vested and then transferred to the individual wallets. Got it. Understood. That makes sense. Not any different than other projects, similar setup. Exactly. And, you know, when you kind of, I suppose, then look at that, the only thing really then that is changed, you know, since 2019 on that side of things, like nothing has really changed from the staking side of things, you know, how people earn rewards. It's the same with, you know, how supply changes, obviously, as well, and how that works. It's more really the only thing that has changed is, you know, around the consensus protocol. And the difference has been now actually having consensus protocols that work in this regard for proof of stake. Makes sense. So in terms of roadmap, in terms of the next few years, what are the major catalysts for Casper and what's next for 2022? Yeah, great question. Okay, so I'll talk about it maybe from the perspective of Casper Labs, and then I can delve into it from, you know, Casper Association perspective. Sure. And so obviously the network launched in 2021. We've been developing a lot of really great use cases. So most recently, for example, we were working with IPW to develop a patent marketplace. So ultimately, this is all about being able to tokenize patents, understand who owns them, enable trading and even licensing of these patents. So the first patent was actually minted on the Casper network around two-ish weeks ago. Another project that is actually launching next week is with Metacask. And that is a, an auction NFT marketplace for high value whiskey casks. And it also has built in on-chain KYC. And that's all enabled through Web3 wallet integrations as well. So that's launching next week. We also recently announced a partnership with China's blockchain services network. And the Casper protocol has basically been chosen as a preferred blockchain protocol for the city of Fuzhou. And there's 8 million people there. And what our role will be from a Casper Labs perspective is basically helping them build an open permissioned adaptation of the Casper protocol. And it's only one of three protocols that are being selected generally for that. So that's pretty big. And so from that, what we'll be doing this year is really scaling up our presence in China. We're going to be hiring local engineers and professional services as well to help scale up that. We also recently announced our partnership with Megalodon to launch DMusic, which is a white-labeled NFT marketplace for musicians. 
So ultimately, it's really going to enable any musician to really tokenize any branded assets that they have and engage directly with fans as well with, you know, a new revenue model component as well around the licensing. So they're the kind of recent developments that have happened. We are also under NDA with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, predominantly in the healthcare, financial services and supply chain space. So we're working on applications around asset tracking and tokenizing financial instruments as well, which will really be a game changer. So our mission really, you know, for 2022 is to continue enabling adoption and building not only, you know, proof of concepts, but building live applications like we have with IPW and Metacask as well. And yeah, we're really excited about that. And I would say, you know, from a Casper Association perspective, so what did 2021 look like for them? They led the launch of the token sale on CoinList. And that was the most subscribed sale on CoinList to date. There were over 275,000 registered participants, of which around 35,000 could actually participate. They were also responsible for, you know, getting the token itself on exchanges and getting integrations with hardware, you know, providers with the likes of Ledger. So that integration is complete. It's just undergoing a review. So that's going to be ready soon. They've been responsible for, as I've mentioned, the DeFi rails. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest, biggest things for this year for and the Casper Association. And the great thing about that is it's almost ready to launch. And so what I mean by that is we have a number of bridges with Ethereum, Binance Chain and Polygon that are going to be launching mid-February. And then in March, we'll also be launching bridges with smart contracts. So not only being able to obviously bridge tokens, but also smart contracts. And, you know, that work is being completed by the firm network. We're also going to be launching through the association, a DEX and an AMM as well. They are code complete. They're just under review as well. So I think, you know, their focus is going to be not only continuing to build out those rails, but also then looking at NFT marketplace partnerships and integrations, and then looking at how to best engage the validators, developers and communities by even running more hackathons like they did last year. They ran... At least I think it was two, one being with Gitcoin. And that took place, I think, around October time. And there were over, I think there was over at least a thousand registered participants, but 40 DAFs actually stemmed from that are under development, which is pretty crazy given, you know, this is the height of COVID and it was all done virtually. And, you know, 40 applications came from this. So, wow. Um, Really excited, really, for you know the DFRLs to be in place, really, and to see what the community does with that. That's awesome. So it's safe to say that Casper is thriving right now. Communities moving, communities growing. Do you think that enterprise blockchain is going to be the future for the level of adoption that you guys are looking for? Is there a world where Fortune 500 companies are not involved and we hit mainstream? I guess that's my question. I think if it's not at the forefront of every C-suite's mind in enterprises, then that's an issue in itself. You know, I've effectively been working with enterprises in this since 2016. We've slowly really started to see it change. You know, when you look at the total 
enterprise IT expenditure versus how much is actually spent on blockchain, which is relatively minuscule, it's around 2%. But when you look at the growth trajectory, it's a lot more, obviously, you know, between now and, for example, even by 2023, it's men have grown from 2 to 6%. And so I think what will determine enterprise adoption is a number of different things, obviously. The scalability around the technology, how easy it's going to be to use, how easy it's going to be to onboard users in this Web3 world. And so, you know, with that in mind, I think as it is today, users, consumers are very much going to dictate what applications look like. I think that we're going to see a more of a movement towards public blockchains rather than private or even hybrid. And I think, you know, with advanced cryptography that, you know, is under development and in place around, you know, ZK Snarks, I think that's really going to make a difference. So, you know, with ZK Snarks, the whole kind of concept is, you know, being able to verify something without revealing the information. So, Think about social security, not actually having to reveal that, but they know that that is in fact your social security. And so I think with these kind of things, it's really going to move more towards that. And, you know, I think the other component is really the fact that there's not going to be one chain. This is kind of clear already today. There's going to be agnostic options. I think enterprises will actually nearly have like a directory type offering where, and same with developers, where they can actually decide based on like what is most important to them, what option they want to use for what DAP. And they'll be easily, you know, more able to switch and change depending on, you know, their needs at that time. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a terminal where it'll show the cheapest rates. It'll show a number of different things and you're able to pick and choose, or it's just going to automatically do it for you. So I that, that's really interesting to hear. That's something that I always thought about. Okay. The one thing, you know, that really kind of excites me about the, the technology and hopefully, you know, we'll see this come to fruition soon is obviously, you know, the, the blockchain components like creating the new system, but with that, you know, with the smart contract NFT capabilities, we have the opportunity to create an entirely new monetization model, which we're seeing with the ability, obviously, you know, to retain uh, royalty payments, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about then what incentive model makes sense and creating a more fair model for all the different participants, I think is going to be really interesting. You know, so having, if you're a developer versus a content creator versus a business, you know, what does the different incentive mechanisms look like? And getting that in place, I think, is really going to help with the adoption. Makes sense. So as we wrap things up a little bit, what's the message you want to say from Casper Labs to the viewers? And then we'll leave on how can we get in contact with you? What's the best services and best social media platforms to get in contact with the team? And are there areas where you're looking for help from the community or just outreach? How how can we get involved? So if you're interested in learning more about what we're doing on the enterprise side, be it case studies or how to actually work with us, definitely go to casperlabs.io. If you're on the developer side, you're looking to get access to the technology, documentation, et cetera, go to casper.network and reach out to the Casper Association because they'll be able to tell you all about when they're going to host hackathons, how to best engage with the community. And so they're the kind of two places I would start with. 
in terms of uh, engaging with the community, you know, there's Telegram channels, there's Discord channels. We're also on LinkedIn as well. And um, so definitely reach out to the Casper Network and the Casper Labs team. And we'd be more than happy to help be a developer enterprise or just someone just trying to get up to speed really about the technology. We're here to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining today. We appreciate your time and look forward to watching the uh, future success for Casper. Thank you so much. And again, thanks so much for having me.